I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Matt Eulery, ubiquitous Chicago bassist and composer, brings his delicate charms quintet to Madison's North Street Cabaret on October 15th. This first-call sideman on so many of Chicago's coolest gigs also leads a handful of his own bands and has released albums under his own name, numbering about a baker's dozen. His latest release, Delicate Charms Live at the Green Mill, just out this month, was recorded during the pandemic and deftly captures the ambiance and atmosphere of this moment in time. Matt Eulery, welcome to the Showbiz Roundup. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Let's jump right to the new record that's coming out. Okay. Delicate Charms Live at the Green Mill. Yes. The writing and playing on this record um, demonstrates a rhythmic facility to the extent that it's not always clear whether there's a shifting sort of metric perspective or an underlying pulse with sort of the rest of that left up to interpretation. Um, In contrast to how other composers of today handle this kind of uh, material, you've really captured sort of a sense of mystery, I think, with with that. And I assume that was intentional. And can you talk about that a little bit? Wow. Great question. Thank you. Um, I guess when it comes to the composition part of it, it's all about that melodic phrase, each melodic phrase, um, spending the time really kind of finding the right the way that each each melody wants to kind of express itself. And so if it needs a little extra beat here or there or another bar for a breath, depending on the moment in the music, um, I try and just let that happen. And then so when I ultimately bring the music to the band, I want them to be to be looking at what I give them and to be hearing exactly what they need so that they can be free to to um dovetail certain phrases together and to use their sense of rhythm and creativity to um, kind of help sculpt these musical phrases. So I I feel, and like, I like that you said there's a mystery there because while I don't want it to be, I don't want people to be sitting there counting necessarily. (laughs) You can let it wash over you if you count, but um, I think what you may be hearing is the players having the freedom within the phrases to to express that stuff. So a lot of it might not even be written in a particularly um, complicated rhythmic way, but the harmony and the harmonic rhythm, I think I, I take a lot of time on that so that everyone else can kind of be free in that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I think it's probably something that's hard to explain in words necessarily, much easier to either see the score or in in listening, you know, deeply to the music itself. Yeah, I think it is pretty abstract. I mean, if we were talking about specifics and we could get deeper into it, but yeah, in general, um, that's, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you thinking of the tunes on this record as more of a suite? Are they interrelated in some way? Uh, are they meant to stand alone? And then, uh, are you using kind of a consistent harmonic and melodic palette for the tunes on this on this record? All the all the music on this record is previously unrecorded. They're what you might call some of my pandemic music. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So I'm not, you know, that's not my story because that's everyone's story. So it's nothing special. Yeah. But um, let's see. It's just they don't necessarily fit together as a suite. It was more just like, okay, it's you know we're we're we're, we're doing stuff again. And when we recorded this and at live at the mill, it was in it was May first, twenty twenty one, which was a little window of hope there that we had for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so um, it was more just like let's play new music, let's play all, play all new music, and let's let's also just record it and see what happens. So it really was the first time we were playing any of it on this record. So it's it's special in that way. Um, as far as your the harmony question you asked, I think I was I was experimenting with sort of new to me ex- um, richer chords. Like, um, so, so adding extra colors of chords on tops of the harmony that I was, you know, trying, looking for something new, because that's like kind of what I always do when I'm writing is I look for the hipness. So if it's something that I think is interesting, then I try and go for it. So it's in short, it's experimental. Yeah, I, I really feel like I could hear that, you know, and, and in part, I suppose it's the filter of the time and Mm. the players and the scene, you know, bringing that recording to a cohesive place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely um, who you call to play your music is, is very important. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of leads into the next question I was going to ask. And, And, you know, you have such a well achieved group dynamic, um, it's very resonant, um, well-defined ensemble perspective. On this recording, you've gone with trumpet in the front line as opposed to violin. Um, what characteristics do you seek in the players that you invite into Delicate Charms? Mm. Okay, well, they need to be, uh, in my opinion anyway, an expert improviser open-minded as far as um getting trying to make something out of this new music that no one's heard including me and um and really they have to be a good reader of music as well because especially at this time you know we we don't have didn't have the luxury to be getting together and rehearsing a bunch so we rehearsed very little in fact so like how can i how can I make, how can I give the people what they need to know to be great quickly? So like these, all these people, James, Greg, Paul, Quinn, I know that they can do that. We're all really good friends too. That's part of it too. Who would be willing to brave the elements together and get together a couple of times before we make a record, play a show. So friends and you know, the good, good vibe. Yeah, it does seem like something that would be more difficult to achieve with like session guys or something. Totally. Yeah. So trust really is the key word here. Mm-hmm. It's the mo- the number one most important thing about playing music with others is trust. So, and that includes trust of someone's time feel, especially trusting that people can be professional and 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 play in tune together and blend. And like, so the front, front line of alto and trumpet, I've heard these guys have been playing together for years. And we all have in various 
various combinations, just never this particular chemistry set. So the, the blend is pretty deep. You give the you know trumpet and alto the same melody in unison sometimes, like, what instrument is that? <laughs> and then Quinn and I, the drummer, Quinn Kirshner, we've played a million gigs together, all kinds of different music. So we, we know that we can just jump into this and with, with the chemistry to set of these people with this new music, it's going to be different, but we trust that it's going to be cool. So that's, that's kind of the main thing. What a great situation to be in. I mean, definitely sounds wonderful. You've written that you tend to write emotionally. This is a quote that is to say, when I reach into the abstract space of musical possibilities, the tiny bit I can capture, I tend to let these transient melodies, rhythms and subsequent harmonies increasingly familiar somehow guide me through the most natural dynamic and flow of energy from event to event. Um, this may be getting more technical than some listeners are interested in it interests me, of course, but would you be able to give us an example of how that plays out in practice? And what can you share about the mechanics of your writing process? I must have written that quote because I would never say that. <laughs> you did. Yeah, it's on your Bandcamp page. Oh, okay. All right. I think what I meant by that was that maybe some, I don't know, maybe some people think that people who are composing music have an idea of the emotion that they want to create. But I don't know if I'm good at that. I, I think it's more, I think what I meant was more like, you know, I want to try and write something that it's that I like. And, you know, that's what artists do. We want to just try and do something because we like it. And I think I'm like looking for an emotion. So, and that emotion comes from mainly the harmony, the chord changes, how that, how the harmonic rhythm moves from chord to chord and how it makes you feel. And so the decisions you make as a composer are partially what not to do, what not to choose. So if you, you know, play, I play like a chord on the piano, like that makes me feel a certain way in the context of the next chord you use. And then so it's like choose your own adventure. Every time you pick a new a new sound, it's like, oh, we're doing this now. And that and then when you add rhythm to the mix and style, like the style will start to to you know show itself. So it's more just like, yeah, tapping in what's what's in there. And if I and if I like the way it makes me feel in some abstract way, then that's the that's the thing you choose to to stick with. That's the improvisation that you've edited now to be a composition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you take that part and you, you know, you, you sit down and do some work and you tighten it up. But yeah. So, I mean, I think I would put you in the category of prolific. You have a lot of work under your belt, you know, and you read about like folks who write, you know, the written word, sometimes they, Say, well, I'm going to write a thousand words today. I'm going to do that every day. And there are others who wait for inspiration to hit. Are you in either of those categories? Um, a little bit of both, I would say, which is a healthy amount. Because um, 
I guess I decided some time ago that I wanted to keep being creative and, and I, I like that I like this medium of composition and producing live performances and recordings. Um, so I would say if you're, you're just always be open to be inspired by an idea, it might ha be happening, you know, late at night where you get a, some kind of melodic idea in, in mind and then you, you sing it into a recorder or, um, maybe just improvising, singing into your phone or something and always be open to grabbing, getting these little seeds of an idea and then somehow documenting the little seed, which might be a voice memo. It might be just, um, you know, some little scratch of note here. And then really what happens is the toiling has to happen for anything to be produced. So you got to decide, set, set them on, set some side, set some time aside and sit down and do the work and you take that seed and you, you know, nurture it and all that you can use whatever metaphor but so it's so it's i i don't know if it's about like okay composing time you know sit down and <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much that sometimes it is but that's that's a lucky time when that happens usually you're sitting down to do it it's like like these writers are saying that want to write a thousand words a day well they probably don't just sit down and do it they probably have an idea and that was the good idea. And then when you sit down and do it, you're sitting down and you're, you're working on the inspiration that you already had. And then more inspiration comes from that. I mean, you also hear about songwriters, you know, like Tin Pan Alley folks mm. that write 100 songs and then five of them are up to their standard or something. It's just like the exercise of sure. writing 100 songs gets you closer to the craft of producing something that you want to share. I like that. Yeah, because it, it's kind of like, it's almost like the try writing something bad kind of approach. We're like, I'm going to write 100 songs and I'm, I'm going to assume that 95 of them are going to be bad and I'm okay with it. Therefore, you sort of get over wanting, having the need to sound good or having the need to write a great song. But if I wrote 100 songs, I'd probably keep changing them until I like them all. Uh-huh. Because if you don't like something in your in your art, then you just change it. Right. Well, is that? Yeah, I, I think the difference is maybe it's just um, lubricating the process so that you aren't offended by creating something that you then later say, "Oh, this is bad." Mm. So, like, it just like it, it uh, opens up the secondaries so that you can get to the mm. meat. Well said. A lot of mixed metaphors there. Yeah. <laughs> um, this may be a little bit of a stretch, but the name Delicate Charms reminds me of Dave Douglas's Tiny Bell Trio. And there's another Dave Douglas connection in your work with your recordings on his Greenleaf label. The Tiny Bell Trio, to me, was one of those bands in the uh, late 90s, you know, with all those classical influence and the free playing and the polymetric and other metric facility and kind of a heretical vibe going on, super influential to me. Did that band have any importance to you back in the day? Totally. I love Tiny Bell Trio. Um, I don't know if there's a direct um, correlation between the name, but um, um, when I heard, like in the 90s, I heard that Dave Douglas was 
what he was doing and with his, um, you know, he's, he's the extremely prolific, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when I heard that you can kind of use more triadic based music and f- elements of folk musics, like European folk musics and South American stuff in the context of contemporary jazz kind of blew me away at that time in my life. And so it, it really freed me up to, to, to feel like I can just, I didn't have to use, say, um, well, while I, I do love it, the blues language or bebop language or post-bop stuff, while I do that stuff too, it was, it, when I heard bands such as the Tiny Bell Trio, um, Brad Shepik, who's the drummer in that? In Jim the, Black. Yes, of course, Jim Black. Trio, no bass. Yep. And, um, um, it freed me up to sort of explore ways of, of writing music that, that was, I don't know, more folky and less sort of blues-based. I mean, not that that's not folky, but you know what I mean? What am I gonna what am I gonna not do? It was that was it helped me out that stuff. Yeah. Uh, big inspiration to me for sure. How did the relationship with Dave Douglas's Greenleaf label come about? Huh. I I think I, I was just hitting him up every time I made a record. So I made a few records before we did uh, we did three albums on Greenleaf. Uh, two double records and a and then a regular one and um i, th- I was just emailing him because i was such a fan of him and re- i mean respected him a lot as a as a composer and a band leader producer doing the different projects every every album and um yeah. eventually he 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 decided that he really really liked what i was doing and so he said let's do it so we just we did three records in three years and I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot from him and Greenleaf Music, his label, and like how to do it. So then I started my own label after that because I figured uh, I'm going to keep making records, and I don't really like the idea of say shopping it around and, or having it be um, in the same vein as another label necessarily. If I want to do something wildly different. Mm-hmm. If I want to do an album of songs or something with singing and something completely not in the jazz realm. So yeah, it gave me the freedom to do that. Do you find that the um, mundane aspects of running a record label eat away at other, um, is it a time suck in any way that you find <laughs> difficult? If I spent half as much time energy on, on, the, on the label as I should, then maybe it would be it would suck up the time, but honestly, you know, I'm spending time being creative, and and not enough time on the label, because <laughs> I don't want to, you know, we don't have a staff, <laughs> so yeah, I'd rather I, it's an art project anyway, the whole thing, so that's that's my main purpose in that. So we've reached the. Uh... Odds and ends, lightning round portion of the interview. Um, right, a bunch of questions that are non sequiturs or potentially non sequiturs. Um, I'm interested in your acoustic playing versus your electric playing. Do you consider yourself primarily an acoustic player? It seems like the electric bass is being 
embraced more and more uh, from maybe a lull over the last, you know, 20 years ago or what have you? How do you approach the electric versus acoustic? Um, I, I would I would consider myself equally uh, electric and an upright player. Okay. I f- feel like they're they're both equally expressive instruments and just in different ways. And well, upright is certainly a lot harder. <laughs> um, electric bass does have its challenges, and especially if you're trying to play certain styles of music. Um, I guess I haven't even, I've barely recorded myself playing electric bass on my own albums, but I, I guess I find myself as a sideman in other people's projects. I do play a lot. Um, I, was, I would say my double is the tuba, sousaphone. Hmm. It's my non-primary instrument. But the the other bass is, yeah, the same. So you play a sousaphone as opposed to a tuba? Yeah, I play both. I mean, it's the same instrument, basically. Uh-huh. The sousaphone was written, was invented by John Philip Sousa, who was a, mar- a marching band uh, leader in the late 1800s. And so he invented the, the tuba for marching as a wrap around your body tuba. So same instrument. Okay. You seem to use um, Anthony Gravino on a lot of your recording projects, recording, mixing. Why do you choose to work consistently with Anthony on so many of your projects? Good question. Anthony's an uh, incredible engineer, a recording engineer and mixing engineer. Um, we've just worked together for a while on so many things that keep coming back because he has he has an ear for sonics that I don't I don't necessarily have because he's really he's deep in that world and also he always has an opinion whether we argue about it or not is the question but he has an opinion and I always value it so it, so it's it's just it's another one of those trust things like when you're playing with you, who do you call to play your music well, they have to have an opinion <laughs> if if they don't then they're not it's not going to work yeah. So it's kind of like a member of the band, you know, bring something to the table. And if I, you know, we have to like compromise on something, then let's do that. But yeah, I just, I trust him. Short. It it does seem to lend like a, a very consistent sound to your recordings. I mean, everything sounds consistently fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. The, the new record is a live recording, um, so it's totally different than the rest of the the albums, but mm-hmm. um, Anthony mastered that, basically made it louder and tightened it up. But um, it's the the vibe in that room that night was uh, something that we couldn't possibly have tried to do in the studio, which is why we did it did it live. Well, the the previous Delicate Charms record was also recorded live at the Green Mill, wasn't it? No, it was a studio. We were live in a studio. Okay. Yeah. Which is why it sounds a whole lot different. It does sound different. Yep. Yeah. One of our avid listeners to the podcast, uh, a very curious fellow, um, has suggested a question to me to ask folks, which could be potentially interesting. Um, He wants to know, what's on your turntable? What are you listening to now? And then I would add... Is there any music that you that you turn to reliably for inspiration? Wow. Um, 
there's definitely something on the turntable right now. I'm trying to think what it is. Uh, <laughs> that's probably a, a, a not a literal question, I guess. Well, it could be interpreted both ways, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Um, there's so much. I listen to a lot of, uh, like lately on the turntable, a lot of um, sort of funk and soul from New Orleans currently. Um, but honestly, like the, the way I want to answer that question is that listening to the music of my friends is kind of my main inspiration these days. My friends put out a record where they write some music and that's kind of what I'm listening to for fun. I have to learn a lot of music a lot of times. So that's, that's not really a good answer because I probably listen to that more than, than uh, anything sometimes, but also I just, I listen to, uh, there's this radio station in Chicago called me TV radio 88, seven. And it's just kind of like B sides from the seventies hmm. with no commercials. So I'm just like letting stuff come at me rather than you know, like, I need to listen to this and listen to this, but that's right. Just, you know, currently it goes in waves. Cause that's a big question. You know, what do you, what's, what's your inspiration? What are you listening to? It's like, yeah, it's huge. What are you eating? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I don't know what you got. Exactly. Well, I made crispy potatoes and duck eggs and some like some cooked green chard and some sliced radishes for breakfast. What else? Some pawpaw and pawpaw yogurt parfait. Wow. <laughs> duck eggs. I can't say that I've ever had duck eggs before. Yeah. It's just like twice as good as a chicken egg. Do you keep your own ducks or do you go to the market for those? Just the market. Yeah. 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 If you have if you have a food podcast, invite me on there. We'll, you know, we'll set aside an hour. All right. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, so last question, I guess, what's next for you? You have anything on uh, the horizon that you are super uh, excited about? Definitely. <clears throat> I'm playing every Wednesday in October at the Hungry Brain in Chicago, which is one of my favorite venues. Is sort of a sister venue to Constellation and doing a residency there. So each Wednesday in October, I'll do a different band of mine. Um, so October 6th is Delicate Charms, our record release, two sets. And then October 13th, my brass band Pollinator will play two sets. I play Seuss Phone and I'm writing all this music. And um, the third week is this group called Become Giant, which is a string sextet plus drums featuring Zach Brock on violin and two sets of that music. Then we're going to record that the next day in the studio. And then the last week is going to be really special. It's a brand new band with um, violinist Mark Feldman, who actually played in Dave Douglas Charms of the Night Sky mm -hmm. in the late 90s. Um, he's, he's in Chicago now, which is wonderful. And Russ Johnson is playing trumpet, Dave Miller on guitar, Quinn Kirshner on drums. I'm writing all this new music. I haven't even finished it yet. We're going to do a set. And then the second set that night on the 27th of October is this group Pro Proyecto Arco Musical, which is a, a sextet of 
berimbaus, which is an uh, Afro-Brazilian instrument, percussion instrument. And they have a way of playing tuned, tuned berimbaus where, um, so it's essentially kind of like a, it sounds like a giant metal harp, but it kind of works as like a, a bell choir where each person has a couple notes or two or three. Mm. And I, I did a commission for them. I wrote a piece that's like 30 minutes. It's six barren bows in bass. <laughs> so wow. perform this epic piece at the Hungry Brain. Uh, so yeah, excited about that. I'm also playing tonight at Sleeping Village with Chinchano, which is a Peruvian jazz band. Um, so for those folks listening to this podcast, go back in time. Yes. A week or so. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> Just Wednesdays in October in Chicago, if 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 it's uh, post time. Definitely. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Matt Eulery, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today on the Showbiz Roundup. Thanks so much for making the time. So fun. Thanks for your really thoughtful questions. I really appreciate you you spreading the word about, about everything. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. All right. That's it for another episode of the Showbiz Roundup. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Blue Stem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com. Catch you later.